Great. So um, if, you've, if you've not been with us uh, for the last few weeks or you're, you're joining us for the first time, we've been looking through uh, a letter in the Bible uh, which is called 1 Thessalonians and it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Thessalonica. Okay, so we've been taking it chapter by chapter each week. Last week, uh, Matt was with us and he spoke uh, from chapter 3 and his three points were hope, faith and love. Yeah, well I've got three points as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got three points as well. And uh, my three points are avoid, learn and make. Avoid, learn and make. So we're going to go through those uh, together. Uh, so let's let's just read. Uh, I'm going to read the, the first part of the chapter because the chapter is split into two parts. So we're going to cover the first chapter first or the first part of the chapter first. Uh, so uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses uh, 1 to 12. If you've got a Bible, you can follow on. And uh, it's entitled Living to Please God. Living to Please God. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Amen. We'll cover uh, the other half uh, either today, depending on how it goes, or we'll include it in next week. All right, we'll see how how time goes. So Paul uh, wraps, starts to wrap up his letter with some final instructions and reminders so that they know how to live to please God. So far, the letter has been uh, a letter that has encouraged them in their faith and challenged them to keep strong in the Lord. In these last closing chapters, he seeks to remind these new Christians how to live out this radical new life 
in Jesus. His goal for them is twofold. One, to please God. Two, to win the respect of outsiders, those who are not in Christ. He says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are doing. You get the the point. This is still a letter of encouragement. He is still trying to uh, take in all that Timothy has reported back to him and going, yeah, you get it. You've got it. You're doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. Timothy had reported back to Paul about how well they were doing and how their faith was becoming known everywhere. It was a good report that was spreading like wildfire across the region of Macedonia and beyond. Paul now says, uh, I ask and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. Don't get stuck. Don't think that you've made it. Keep going. Keep growing. He's like a spiritual father and an encouraging pastor who is asking and urging them to live a life that is radically different to those that are around them, but also perhaps to the life they once lived before they believed in Jesus Christ, before they believed in the gospel. I think this is the way that Paul writes. It's just such a loving approach to help people to change and become more like Jesus. We all need encouragement, don't we? We all need to keep on believing and, uh, and we need help and encouragement to live for Jesus more and more. When you do something more and more, you create a habit or a lifestyle practice, which is either for good or bad. The more you do it, the better you become at it whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Esther, is, uh, she's learning to touch type. She's learning to, uh, she's using a program that you have to go on every day uh, and do a section where you put your fingers on the keyboard and you don't look at the keyboard. You look at the screen and you learn to touch type by feel, by practicing where the keys are. Uh, and each exercise gets harder and harder and harder. And she's doing really well. Uh, sometimes she gets frustrated because she misses a key. But she's trying to practice that more and more because she wants... I think she's seen how mummy does it. How, how fast uh, mummy t- types without even looking at the keyboard. And, and she wants to emulate uh, her. So the more and more she's doing it, the better she's becoming at touch typing. The more and more you read your Bible the better you become at reading the Bible. The more and more you pray, the better you become at praying Um, and so on. So the more and more you practice something, the better you become. And this is what Paul is wanting them to do. He's wanting to get better and better and better at living for God. And Paul sets out to remind them of the instructions he gave them and demonstrated to them whilst he was with them. We know that he was only there just a few weeks. He wasn't there long, so he certainly left a mark. He uh, exercised his influence in, very, in such a very short time with these people. He preached the gospel. Many of them were converted, and many of them went on to live for, for Christ. And he backs this up 
by saying this. And I'm just in in my sort of office this week, just praying and reading the scriptures. Uh, it was this phrase that really just got me. It was one of those it hit you in the heart moments uh, that I was like, oh, you know, this is just. And it's easy. It's one of those verses in this scripture. Just you can just sort of sail on past it. But it was in that moment God was like, yeah, you need to hear this. And it's this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You can just see it there, can't you? Uh, In verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? It means that it's God's will that you should be holy. God doesn't want you to be messed up. He's in the business of rescuing us from our mess. God wants us to be holy. I just, I just like us to take a moment to, to put a hand on our heart. Would you, would you just do that? Just put a hand on your heart. And I, and I want you to say this to yourself. It is God's will that I should be holy. Would you just say that to yourself? It is God's will that I should be holy. It is God's will that I should be holy. It is God's will that I should be sanctified. It's not man's will. It's not the church's will, although it is. But it is predominantly God's will that his people should be sanctified, holy, made right, consecrated, sacred, devoted. In today's language, that would say pure, flawless, perfect, holy. And I'm aware that that's a big ask. That's a big, hairy goal, isn't it? That we will never fully achieve in this life but we can aim towards it we can aim for holiness you know we are holy but sanctification is is being made holy when we come to Christ Jesus takes away our sin he washes us clean he sees us as righteous that is your position in Christ you are righteous in Christ as if you've never done anything wrong. And yet there is a, a, a walk that we have of, of sanctification, of becoming more and more holy. Paul asks and urges the Thessalonians to aim for holiness more and more, bit by bit, day by day, little by little. Keep going, keep growing in your holiness. So where does he start? Well, let's start with Paul's first instruction on how to live a sanctified life, how to please God. And this is our first point this morning. And it's an instruction to avoid. It's an instruction to avoid. It's this, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that each of you should avoid sexual immorality and I'm aware that this is a a difficult and sensitive issue 
it's not an easy one. It's, it's something that in, in churches across the globe uh, is the elephant in the room, if you like. It's the one that people struggle with. Lots of differing opinions on what sexual immorality is and isn't. In fact, I, I ask somebody in the week, and I hang around with a lot of Christians. I don't get a chance to hang around with a lot of non-Christians, okay? And when you work for a church, that seems to be the deal. Um, I, I wish it was a little bit more the other way. Uh, but uh, I, I ask somebody who doesn't go to church, who's not a, who, who wouldn't class themselves as a Christian, I just ask them, what, what, if I said the words sexual immorality to you, what, what would it mean? Uh, and the person said, hmm. I think it's probably somebody who gets a bit close. They're a little bit inappropriate. So, okay, yeah, it kind of does kind of cover that. Uh, or somebody who's maybe a paedophile. That, that, was, that was the person's take on what sexual immorality is. And for maybe some of you, you've never even heard the words. Uh, you don't quite grasp what they mean. And we'll, we'll cover that. Um, we'll get into that. But let's first look at the word avoid. Avoid. Um, When I I was a kid, my mum and dad used to take me to the fun fair. Ever go to the fun fair when you was little? And uh, I used to love, the the thing that was my favourite at the fun fair was those cars. And uh, they kind of got a big kind of a rubber thing around the the edge. And they've got a a pole that goes up to the sort of bit which which, uh, electric, sorry? Dodgems. Bumping cars, dodgems. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Yeah, kind of you got, you know, you drive around in a car. Well, I always thought they were called the bumping cars. I thought they were called the bumping cars. I thought as a kid, the idea was to get behind the wheel, get the seatbelt on and smash into as many people as possible. I thought that was the goal. I thought that was the goal to, to put, accelerate hard and to crash in to as many people as possible to cause as much damage as I could and then of course later in life as I kind of got over my dyslexia um, I I used to see the signs that said no bumping no bumping and I also saw the sign that says dodgems and the idea is to avoid isn't it It's, it's to avoid the other people that's that really is the idea uh, they don't want you to be bumping. I mean, to have fun, drive around, but not bump into people. And that's a rubbish analogy, really. But I, I want you to understand what avoid means. Avoid. The word that Paul uses here in avoid in the Greek simply means be distant from. Be distant from or abstain. Abstain. We understand what the word abstain means. Don't go there. Don't touch it. It's not good for you. It's the same words. uh, Avoid is the same word used in Acts chapter 15, verse 29. When the Jerusalem council uh, met together to to, uh, agree what Gentile believers should and should not do. Should they keep the law? Should they keep, shouldn't they keep the law? And they gave them a set of instructions, a very simple list of instructions. Uh, and it says this, um, when they wrote to the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, they said this, you are to abstain, avoid, distance yourself from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, the meat of strangled animals 
and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. It's the same, almost the same word in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, where Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Basically, run away from it. Don't even go there. All other sins a man commits outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. So what does the Bible or the Apostle Paul mean when he says sexual immorality what does it mean you know we think of that woman who I spoke to in the week who thought it was just inappropriate touching or close or paedophilia uh, well it's you know she's that it, incom- it does incorporate that but the Greek word here for sexual immorality is the word pornea pornea and it's the root word we have for pornography and in Greek culture pornea referred to to prostitution okay prostitution so paying for sex and it was not viewed as immoral in the greek culture okay they were perfectly okay with it in jewish culture hebrew culture uh, the word sexual immorality or pornea uh, it included all extra marital sexual behavior and homosexuality okay so you can see the two different culture divides. Uh, and, you know, and that's important for us to hear because Paul is writing to people who are Greek. They're Christians who are set in a very Greek culture, which was a culture which was very sexually immoral. Now, the worldwide church has many different views on this today. But sexual immorality... Uh, in, in terms of what the Bible says, in Christian terms, includes pornography, premarital sex, homosexual relations, and adultery. And basically, that's what Paul is saying: is to avoid those things. So, to avoid it means to abstain from sexual activity that is outside the biblical pattern of marriage. So, what is the biblical? pattern of marriage says marriage is God's idea and today society seems to have rewritten God out of what marriage is and, and and today society is constantly reshaping marriage to fit its own world views of what it should look like okay that's clear isn't it well, there is lots of uh, uh, debate lots of opinions and ideas especially on tv about what marriage should and shouldn't be in fact uh, you know laws have been changed uh, regarding what marriage is but marriage is god's idea it's a covenant relationship which is exclusive between one woman and one man which ends when one of them dies that's the biblical pattern for marriage Genesis 2 24 says this for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh 
So why is it important to avoid sexual immorality? Why, what is so bad about it? Well, you've probably got things kicking off in your head right now that go, yeah, I've had a bad experience there. Maybe, you know, you've, uh, you've been hurt by somebody that, that committed adultery. Maybe you have, uh, you've been a, a, an addict uh, of, of pornography. Maybe you've, you've uh, paid for sex. Maybe you've been uh, on the other side. You've received money for sex. I'm not putting that on anybody, but if we're a church that is reaching society as it is, then we will attract people with all different experiences of the world. I think I've told you before, before I became a Christian, I used to pay for sex. I did. I didn't see anything wrong with it. Although there was, it was a kind of a dirty, guilty secret that I didn't tell anybody about. It was my dirty secret. It wasn't until I came to Christ that I was washed clean that I was able to tell another human being. I was able to experience the freedom of confession and be released from that. And I can hand on heart say I've never been there since. Praise God. It's expensive. <laughs> and it, it does, I'm not joking, it does make you feel awful. It, it makes you feel polluted that's why it's it's kept in the dark isn't it it's kept in the dark so nobody sees it because it's a guilty horrible thing sexual morality breeds mistrust it damages relationships you know i looked up in the week uh, 50 percent of all marriages fail the number one cause of divorce is infidelity marital unfaithfulness it's it's like pouring bleach. You know, bleach comes with a, a warning, doesn't it? Avoid contact with eyes and skin. Why is that? Because it's not a good idea to put bleach in your eyes or on your skin. It comes with a warning to avoid it. The warning to avoid is designed to protect you from serious harm and to aid holiness, to aid, to aid sanctification. I think I told you, uh, some of you, I've probably told you this story before of my, uh, uh, when I first became, a, you know, when you first become a Christian, you're vulnerable, aren't you? You, you know, if you have this fantastic mountaintop experience of meeting Jesus, meeting the living God, and suddenly it's, everything's wonderful, everything's great, you want to live for Jesus. And, and the enemy knows that uh, and knows your vulnerabilities. He knows how to trip you up. And uh, I think I've told you of my time. Have we got time to tell you this story? No, I'll have to save that. Oh, I've told you of my, um, my exploits in Glasgow. I, went to, uh, I worked for John Lewis uh, and I was asked to go up to, to Glasgow to open a new spanky new John Lewis store and was there for a couple of weeks, put up in a hotel. And uh, you've heard the phrase, what, stays in Vegas, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, what happened in Glasgow does not stay in Glasgow. It's, it's a myth, isn't it? Um, I ended up in a hotel room with a young lady. Uh, I wasn't married at the time, I need to tell you that. Not that that excuses it, but I was a single guy. Uh, and I was, I was a vulnerable, single, Christian guy that fell, slipped up. Uh, and, and the reason I tell you that is because 
you know, we all are vulnerable. We all weak, aren't we? And we all need, uh, we need God's protection. Uh, but the experience of falling very early on as a Christian was, was hard. Uh, I think I spent most of the morning in the shower, most of the morning confessing to God that I'd messed up, asking for his forgiveness. And it was after that moment, it was a real eye-opener of how uh, the devil can trick you into promising you something that actually leaves you feeling shallow, hollow and dirty. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a, a very good learning experience, even though it wasn't good. It was sexually immoral. And so from that moment on, it's been my goal to avoid, avoid, flee sexually, run away from it. Don't even go there. So this is uh, Paul's encouragement to avoid. So that's our first point. Avoid sexual immorality. Second piece of wise instruction that Paul writes is that they should learn learn to control their body each one should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable now i don't know about you but um i don't know if you've picked up who paul is writing to i think paul is writing to men here because uh, if you look at the footnote there's a little footnote a little a um after the word body, each of, that each of you, in verse 4, that each of you should learn to control his, or his gives it away, doesn't it? His own body, footnote A, if you look at the footnote, it says this, or learn to live with his own wife, or learn to acquire a wife. So he's definitely writing to men, isn't he? But I think the message does apply to women as well, Okay. So let's, let's not just look to all the men. I think it's a message for everybody. So this message is for men. Learn to appreciate your wife or learn how to get one. Now, you know, it kind of contrasts with some of Paul's teaching because some of Paul's teaching talks about it's, it's good to be single. It's good to remain single, uh, just as I am, he says. Um, but he also says, you know, if you can't control your sexual urges, then it is right for you to marry. So let's learn. You know, he, he, we don't fully understand what was going on at Thessalonica, but I, I would imagine there was a there was stuff happening where people were upset, getting upset with one another. You know. He, He's sleeping with her wife and uh, they're, they're messing with that person. Just a whole thing going on there of, of immorality. Uh, and Paul's encouragement is learn how to control your body. Basically, you know, develop some self-control. Develop some self-control. That's a gift. That's a fruit, isn't it? Fruit of the Spirit is to, to be self-controlled. Learn how to love your wife to appreciate her and if you if you're struggling then find a wife now i don't want to i don't want to say i don't want to go on record as saying if you're struggling with with lust find a wife because that isn't going to solve it it's, you know getting married doesn't solve the sex issue doesn't sex is very small part of marriage okay there is so much more to marriage than just getting your needs fulfilled all right 
It's about companionship. It is about loving one another. It is about growing as a couple. It is about having children. It's about money. You know, the list is endless. Marriage is so much more than just having sexual fulfillment. But Paul encourages you, learn, learn how to control yourself. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of them. This is a clear warning, isn't it? Not to mess with anybody else's wife or daughter, etc. You know, God wants us to be faithful to the person that we have committed to. Marriage vows are, are really important. You know, I, you know we, we pledge, don't we, in, in our marriage to, to be faithful to that person. To, uh, I'm trying to remember the words, to, you know, that you put that person before anybody else. It's an exclusive, holy relationship. I do want to say also that learning to control your body is good advice for ladies too. You know, learning to control our body, uh, I think in this regard, what, in what Paul is writing, is, is to stop people being, uh, to, to act in passionate lust. But also, you know, if we think of our bodies, not, we're not just a sexual being, are we? You know, what comes out of our mouth, you know, whether it's lying or gossiping or exaggerating or foul language, what we do with our hands, you know, do we use our hands for violence or for stealing or for pointing the blame or for sex outside of biblical marriage? Paul says, avoid these things and learn to control your own body. And how do you do that in such a culture that fiercely encourages promiscuous relationships that's something to ponder isn't it how how do you put what do you, what systems do you put in place to uh avoid what systems do you have to learn to control your body when i first became a christian i did a study on lust i didn't want to get more lustful i wanted to avoid lust and, and the bible talks about especially to men about your eyes what you do with your eyes you know, he who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery. And uh, I, I read through the Bible and I had a highlighter pen and, and I, I highlighted every time Jesus said the word lust and it's everywhere. Uh, and so I, I would be around town and, you know, especially in the summer and uh, the moment an attractive young woman would be around, I'd have to slap myself around the side of the face. It was almost like, no, don't look there. No, don't look there. No, we're not going there. You know, I was beginning to teach myself to control what I look at, what I focus on. I think God begins to, you know, when God is on, has a hold of your life and he's important to you, you want to honour him. You want to honour him with your eyes. You want to honour him with your mouth. You want to honour him with your hands and with the rest of your body. Learning to control our body will be a lifetime goal but you will get better at it as you practice it more and more it will you'll get you'll you become more proficient in it 
And there's a warning there, isn't it? The Lord will punish men for all such sins, sins, as I've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Whoever rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You're not rejecting me. You reject God when you give in to the lust of the flesh. And we'll all know that feeling when we've failed, how it makes us feel. It, you know, sin separates us from God, doesn't it? Whether it's sexual sin or other sins, it separates us from God. It damages our relationship between God and it can damage our relationship between others too. Verse 9, Paul writes about brotherly love. Let's not get any confusion, confusing mixed message from his words that are designed to encourage them to become more and more the people of God who display in all areas of their life the love of God. And when he uses the term brotherly love, he uses the Greek word Philadelphia for love, which means being considerate and kind to your brothers and sisters. And he says, you're doing this. Uh, you love the brothers all over Macedonia, yet we urge you to do this more and more. Every time he uses the word love here, he never uses the word eros, which is the love that is of sexual or erotic uh, uh, way of love. He always uses the, the word love in the Greek Philadelphia or agapeo, which is, is a love for God or for one another or for our enemies. It's the kind of love that lays down its life for somebody. So we've had avoid, we've had learn. Let's look at our last point, uh, make. Make it your ambition, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands so that you may win the respect of outsiders and not be dependent on anybody. Now we here we have to understand who Paul is talking to because the danger is that we might think that Christians should just keep their mouths shut not to make a scene or to confront things that are wrong but I don't think he's saying that that would be a contrast to some of the things that he did you know Paul preached the gospel in many cities especially in Ephesus and it led to riots that's not minding your own business or leading a quiet life is it Jesus went into the temple and turned over the the tables of the money changes because he saw the injustice of of what was happening that they turned a holy place into a den of thieves he called it that's not minding your own business and leading a quiet life. So what is Paul saying about leading a quiet life, about minding your own business? Well, many Christians have stood up to shout out about slavery, child labour, education, health, poverty, and they still do today. Is Paul saying we should just remain quiet and become hermits? No. He's addressing those in Thessalonica who've become what he terms as idle, lazy, busybodies going around doing nothing. <laughs> there are people in, church, in that church who are idle. They're just standing around watching everyone else but refusing to lend a hand or to find work that pays money. 
They're refusing to do that. Rather, they're, uh, rather than finding worthwhile employment that pays, they're content to sponge off other people who are hardworking. So why have they become idle? Why have they become lazy? It's because they were waiting for the coming of the Lord. They thought, you know, and still today, we, we believe that Jesus is coming back, that it's urgent, that we don't know when he's coming back. It could come back at any moment. But, and these people took that as, well, if Jesus is coming back at any point and it's urgent and it could be any moment, then I'll just lay back and wait for it to happen. I don't need to do anything. I'll just bring it on. Of course, only God knows. Only, only God knows when Jesus is coming back. And we could be waiting a long time. We don't know. It's been 2,000 years, hasn't it? But it could happen this afternoon. It could happen next week. It could happen next year. We don't know. It could be another 100,000 years before it happens. But what we do know is it's coming. And every day that passes, it's getting closer. It's getting close. And these people are just sat back, taking it easy. They've got their ticket to heaven uh, and Jesus will look after them. This is who Paul is addressing. And there are many Christians today who live like this. They don't believe that it's their, that they have a responsibility to, to do anything. They've got their ticket to heaven. Poof, bingo, done. But life's not like that, is it? You have to put some effort in. Salvation, this is John Piper, he says this, salvation is the gift of God, but sanctification is a partnership between you and God. God gives the free gift of salvation, but we have to put in time, effort, in working with God to become sanctified, to become holy, spotless. Mind your own business. Turn to the person next to you and say, mind your own business. Mind your own business, get a job, work hard, earn your keep. This is what Paul's message is to these people. Avoid sexual immorality. Learn to control your own body. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to work hard, to... Uh, do everything you can uh, to improve yourself, the life of your family, the life of your church. Be ready for Christ's return. Let's be ready for Christ's return. Um, we're not going to cover, we're, we're running out of time. So let's move on to the ending. You know, we've talked about sexual morality. We've talked about controlling our bodies. We've talked about... Um, make it our ambition to, to lead that quiet life and to get on with it, get on with things, ready for Christ's return. Jesus in Revelation 22 says this in John's vision. Revelation 22 verse 12, and I'm going to read it, and uh, it, it can come across a bit harsh, but this is the reality of Christ's return and our going to be with him forever. He says this, verse 12, look, this is Jesus speaking, look, 
I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. That's a, a, a kind of a, an analogy of cleansing, of holiness. Blessed those who have washed their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. It's the picture of heaven, of being with Jesus. Blessed are those who have washed their robes, that they may go th- have the right to go to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the unbelievers. That's a reference to unbelievers. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, lying, basically. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It is God's will that we, that you should be sanctified. And I'll sum up with just a a pitch. You know, Matt spoke last week about Olivia uh, throwing up in the middle of the night and uh, Matt cleaning her up and helping her. uh, And it was in that moment that Olivia first called him daddy. And um, he used that picture as an analogy uh, of, of how God loves us, even in our mess, even in, you know, everything that, that, that we're covered in. God wraps his arms around us and he loves us. Well, in the same way, I want to use an illustration with my daughters. You know, I'm their dad. And one day they're, they're going to want to, they're going to want to be married, aren't they? They're going to want to find a nice young man. And, uh, you know, even, even from a very early age, they've talked about getting their wedding dress even now we, we drive past a bridal shop and they'll go oh yeah I want that one that's 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 you know I want chiffon and I want this and I want sparkly diamonds they they, they do they drive oh yeah and for me as their dad I want to do everything I can to help them to avoid the mistakes that I made before I came to Christ I want I want to be honest with them I want to help them avoid all the crazy things that I did as a young man that I thought was just normal. And yet when in Christ, it's, it's not. I want to do everything I can to make sure they're on that right path, they, that they learn to control their bodies. You know, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult time we live in, especially with the internet. You know, the internet is, is poison, isn't it, when it comes to sexual immorality. You know, pornography is just rife. I think they said about 22,000 clicks every second is to a porn website. You know, it's crazy. Um, I want to do everything I can to make sure when they get to their wedding day, when they get with their husband, they've done everything to keep themselves pure, holy and spotless for their husband. And that's the picture that Jesus wants for us. He's the bride... And we are 
the bridegroom. He wants us to be cleansed, holy, spotless for that consummation. You know, that time that we get to be with him. Because there's a stark warning there that those who are outside, if, if, that, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't spur us on to be holy and blameless, then I don't know what does. You don't want to be left out of going in to be with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that it is your will that we should be holy. And Lord, thank you that we can't do that in our own strength. We're not capable. It is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. And I pray for myself and and those that are here today, my brothers and sisters, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would give them the strength, the courage, the the passion to avoid uh, those things we've spoken about this morning. Lord, you'd help them. You'd help me to learn how to control our bodies, not in lustful passion, but to be devoted to you. Lord, help us to make it our ambition to mind our own business, to work hard, to be people who love you and love our brothers and sisters. And so this morning from this chapter, may we just glean something that will help us on our journey with you. Thank you that it is your desire for us to be with you at the end of time. We look forward to your coming back, Lord, because we want to be with you forever. Take us, we pray, from this world, Lord, that is so full of uh, misery and promiscuity, Lord, to be with you forever where it is holy and blameless and good. In Jesus' name, amen. We look forward to that wedding feast with you. Amen.